When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, we are back. This is episode 233, title pending, but we might do a seasonal one. I have it written down here. CSS is my Valentine this year. The reason why I mentioned this is because I, I have some episode or I have some topics this episode that I just straight up missed when I was learning CSS. I don't use this stuff or I maybe have in the past and forgot. And so when I've been doing our TikTok content, if you haven't followed us on there, shameless self plug, go check us out. HTML, all the things on TikTok. Uh, we, I've been publishing little 60 second or less tutorials on different CSS topics, and I ended up finding these little tidbits and these little extra things that I just completely forgot about or didn't know about or thought I found it or that I found interesting. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review rating on your podcast app, join us on our Discord server or share this with your friends. And let's just go right at it here. Why not? So the first thing I'm, I'm calling them attribute selectors and advanced attribute selectors. Now it's just technically <laughs> attribute selectors, but I'm calling them, I'm putting them into two different categories. And if you're new to CSS, you've probably seen square brackets. And if you're like me, when I was learning CSS, I ignored them for a while and then went back thinking they were a more advanced thing. Well, I've divided these attribute selectors because in the syntax of an attribute selector, you use square brackets to surround an attribute, an attribute that is placed upon an HTML element. So with this, with these attribute selectors in your square brackets, you can detect whether the attribute is present and you can also detect if an attribute is present and set to a particular value, right? So these are typically combined with other attributes or with other uh, selectors, excuse me, such as, you know, I wanted to, I want to see if the alt attribute is present on my image tags. I want to know if my alt is set to the word featured, have the value featured on my image tag, stuff like this. These this is the most simple form. This is what I would call the basic, the basic attribute selector. This is the stuff that I knew uh, when I first learned it. This is the stuff I've been using ever since. But then I. I don't know if I knew this or I completely forgot about it, but I, I, I've categorized these ones. There's five different ones under the advanced, under the advanced tab in this, in the show notes, which is you can add specific characters right after the attribute name for more granular slash advanced selecting. So, like I said, you have your square brackets and you can write your name of your attribute and that will detect if the attribute is present, select elements with that, with that, uh, attribute present. You can also do an, the attribute equals, and then in quotes, you can write whatever, like hello or whatever you want to detect as a, as a specific value. And that will detect if an attribute is present and if the value of that attribute is set to a particular value. But you can expand this by adding a tilde before that equal sign. Right after the attribute name, you can add a tilde, you can add a vertical bar, you can add a caray. You can add a dollar uh, it's sign. It's a carrot. It's a carrot. We, 
I'm, I'm jumping in right now. It is not a caray. It's a carrot. Just for everyone to know. I don't know anyone I else that says caray. I, okay. I thought it was called a chevron. That's probably my Stargate coming through. I thought it was called a chevron. I swear this is caray. Like, Mike and I had this argument before the show, and then we decided to, sh- like, to share most of it. I swear this is caray. This is not carrot. I swear I, this is caray. I'm almost it, certain. I, you it know what? Might be I caray. am personally certain. It, it might be caray in like the technical sense, but everyone says carrot is what I'm trying to say. See, so I've I, never heard anyone say carrot unless I've mistaken them this entire time thinking they're talking about the vegetable carrot as in carrot cake. No, it, no one's talking about carrot cake when they're doing CSS. It's just not happening. They're talking. Hang they're, on. If you're doing a, a, if you're doing a CSS menu, you're making a menu for a restaurant, you're doing your CSS. What if you have a class dot carrot cake? Because there no, might be variants no. on the carrot cake, sugar-free one, regular one, icing, specific, no icing. Too specific of a class. It has to be a generic class that'll encompass all of your menu items. I disallow it. It's not curry. It's carrot. I, I want to know, everyone in the audience, at HTML Everything on Twitter, tweet me how you would pronounce it. Obviously, you can't really pronounce in a tweet, but what you can, what you can do is C-A-R dash yeah phonetics you can do the phonetics yeah do the phonetics now everyone's just gonna copy the phonetics see i'm doing this from my own knowledge i'm not looking up whether it's caray or carrot i still think (laughs) it's wrong i don't i still don't think it's it's, i'm gonna say caray moving on okay well let's see i'm gonna say caray i'm this episode might just be wrong then but anyway you have your caray which is like a little upward arrow which is your shift six on the u.s keyboard layout um you also have a dollar sign like i said and an asterisk so what do these characters do? Putting it right after that attribute name, what does it do? Well, if the tilde selects elements that contain a specific word in the value of a specified attribute. And it's a space-separated word. So maybe you could detect, um, like, class, for example. So on in HTML, you write, you know, paragraph, class, featured. Um, class is an attribute. And so you could detect if what if there's a specific word in there. Does it contain featured? Does it contain hello? Does it contain big text? What does it contain? But it's a space separated word. And that's a specific distinction that we have to make here because the other characters do things a little bit differently. The vertical bar is another example. So that's just your straight up and down on my keyboard. I know there's different layouts on my keyboard. It's the character right below. It's the sort of like a double wide, I suppose, or almost double wide character right below my backspace. I believe I press shift to hit that, too. I just I've been typing for so long. I don't even like know what I'm doing on the keyboard just real quick. Um, I, think, I think it's also called a pipe. Some people call it a pipe yes. and then some people call it. It's it's like the first it's like it's an or as well. If you have two of them, it's an or a logical yes. or. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's a vertical line. Yeah. Some people even call it just vertical line as well. Yep. Um, I just chose one of the uh, quote unquote official names on this, including Caray. Um, <laughs> anyway, if you put this vertical bar in there, uh, this selects elements that have exactly the specified value or specified value separated by a hyphen in the value of a specified attribute. So I want to make a little bit of a clearance thing here is that with all of these characters, you're not just having your attribute name. So like I said before, you have your square brackets, and let's say you just want to detect if the alt if the alt attribute is present. You literally just, in your square brackets, write alt. This is not what these are for. These are for if you had alt equals then something. You put that character in. It, it's always, these characters affect 
they sort of filter through in different ways the value of the attribute that we're dealing with, that we've selected. So this thing, like I said, uh, selects elements that have exactly the specified value or specified value separated by a hyphen in the value of the specified attribute. The value has to be a whole word. So for example, you could maybe say, uh, you know, have your vertical bar and have your alt vertical bar equals top. Well, top will match, but also top dash or top hyphen bar will match. So these start getting pretty granular and could work with your own naming scheme if you have a specific naming scheme with your classes as you go through or your IDs or whatever, your data, your data attributes, which we'll get into in a bit here too. Now you have your uh, carrot, sometimes impro- in, improperly pronounced as caray, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, jo- I chose your side on that one, Mike. Yeah, I you did. You, you, I bent, you flip-flopped I the knee. quickly. Like you, I bent you went- the knee. <laughs> I think it's still Kare, though, but I bent the knee on that one. <laughs> your Kare or your upward arrow, which is shift six on my keyboard. This selects elements that begin with the specified value. The value does not have to be a whole word. So if we were to once again have our alt is equal and have our Kare in there, alt Kare equals top, the word top, value does not have to be a whole word. So Top can be a whole word. Top dash text, top hyphen text, either way you want to say it. That matches as well as top content, all one word that matches. It starts with the value you specified. The next one here is a dollar sign. This is opposite of the Chevron, opposite of the Caray, whatever you want to say. The value ends in the specified value. And once again, that does not have to be a whole word. So same type of thing. If top is at the end of the word top, we're using the same example with the cray. If top is at the end of the thing, if you wrote text dash top, for example, does not have to be a whole word. Then you have your asterisk, which is used, of course, as a wild card in many of the different things. And we'll even use it in a thing that's coming up, a topic that's coming up here. And that is an asterisk. And it selects uh, elements whose attribute value contains a specified value. But the value does not have to be a whole word. So in my TikTok video, I had a uh, a div or an image or something that had the class set to the word featured. But uh, my asterisk, it was asterisk equals and then EA. Well, the word featured has EA in it. So it counted. So that's that's those five things. And I had no idea these existed. But these are things that I'm going to probably start using in my no code areas. This is going to be really crucial for me, I think, in my no code uh, embeds where I'm in my WordPress, let's say, and I've set it up with a page builder and all that. So it's basically a no code platform. I can go to the additional CSS uh, field and I can now choose things a little bit more computationally here. Um, same thing with Webflow where I can embed some scripts and embed this and that. I can now maybe just embed a little bit of custom CSS and not have to pull in JavaScript and not have to have that render blocking JavaScript and those type of things. I'm able to sort of offload it. And so it's going to change these, you know, this is a small thing that many of you might think, you know, yeah, like I knew this, but I just, when I learned it, it just, I went right over it and I've always worked around it just because I never knew this existed. I think the main reason you went over it is because when you're building like a custom site, you just, there's no real need for this because you can put a class wherever you want, right? Like you control the structure of the page and therefore you don't need to have these specific, you know, 
selectors for stuff that you can easily put a ID or a class on. Where these become super handy is when you don't have full control of the page. So like you said, the perfect example of that would be something like a WordPress template that you haven't built yourself that you're just plugging into, right? So there you can, you can go in and change some classes here and there, but you also don't know how many, uh, elements are going to be there because it's all dynamic content based and stuff like that. So when you want to have more granular control of a page that was generated for you, you find these common patterns like, Hey, each of these, uh, you know, each of these images has an alt tag, right? And the alt tag will define what's in that image, right? So the, the person can define it. If you want to go in and select all images of cats, but you can't rely on the title or the class because the classes and titles are all the same pretty much, you you can rely on the alt tag because if someone's going in there and describing the a cat in there, you know that the word cat is going to be in the alt tag. So now you can highlight images of cats based on the alt attribute, Right. And the, with the tilde key, right? The, the tilde key can then de- like find the specific word cat in that alt tag. And you can have a pretty accurate definition of, Hey, all of these images are going to be cats. So highlight them where this is really also really useful. And again, for the exact same reason is when you're building a Chrome extension that needs to control the page, that page again was not generated by you you don't have any control of what classes are on there but Mm -hmm. you can find the patterns of different data attributes and we'll talk about that in a second or different again alt tags or title tags and inputs like when you're talking about inputs they have tons of different attributes on them and again the more granular you can get the easier it is for you to find the patterns that you need to find to do the injecting of javascript or whatever or a css that you need to do using a you know, an extension again, then you're controlling someone else's page. And I, I was going to say that I agree with you that you wouldn't have the need. You wouldn't need these five special characters, uh, largely because of your classes and your IDs. But I was going to disagree with you until you, until you mentioned that there are times in which you can strategically use them. And one of the biggest for me is the, also the second kind of big topic of this episode, which is custom attributes. So this, a lot of this information, or I think actually most of it, comes from a CSS Tricks article. I will obviously link this in the show notes. And uh, and the previous section was W3 Schools. So I'll link that as well. But anyway, so like HTML elements, as we already have established, do have attributes on them, as, as we all have discussed. These are not always for, like what Mike just mentioned, like a class or an ID or an alt, a uh, bit of alt text on an image or something. They're for a bunch of different things. They're for accessibility, of course, but they're also for styling sometimes. They're also for specifying your class and IDs. Like, they're all over the place. There's a bunch of stuff. Some discouraged behavior, I suppose, is just making up your own attributes. If I just come up and I have an image tag and I write the attribute literally Matt, and I have an an example that you can't see, but I'll just use it as a, a visual reference, is I just literally have a paragraph in one of my code pens here, and I have an attribute Matt, and it's equal to the word hello. And that's... And I'm able to do that. Another thing that's frowned upon is using or sorry, repurposing uh, existing attributes for specifically for reasons that are unrelated to its purpose, because it it was chosen and that attribute is made for a reason. It'd be like trying to repurpose the class attribute. I mean, I suppose you could do it with this weird filtering and stuff and then not use it like a CSS class, but it's sort of like why? And so some of the more nuanced are sort of like um, a good example would be an alt, an alt, uh, t- an alt attribute. Actually, if you went in 
and you decided, okay, you know, I have my image. I'm going to add my class. So I get my styling. And then I'm in my alt, I'm going to write my database ID. Well, that's useless to screen readers. It's useless for anyone whose the image didn't load and it just shows the alt tag. It, it, it's you're not using the alt tag correctly. It's you can do it. It will work if you decide with your JavaScript or whatever to process that little bit of uh, that content in your alt tag. And, you know, that's your uh, database ID. And now you know what table to go to or know what where in the database to change it, whatever that you're doing with it. It'll work. But you're you're repurposing the alt. Now, like I said, it, there's not real consequences here. Like I have a mat <laughs> attribute here. Uh, you can misuse the alt, like I said. So what, like, what are the consequences? Well, it makes your HTML invalid. In general, it won't cause your site to crash. You know, you're not going to have like a problem where errors are going to be flying all over the place and stuff like that. But it is invalid HTML. So consider this, like I said, discouraged. It's something that you just probably shouldn't do. Another thing to consider too, though, is that HTML isn't done. There are versions of HTML. New HTML comes out and HTML is being updated all the time. And therefore, your made-up thing, like Matt, for example, will maybe one day HTML will update and Matt is for something. And so you're like, well, great, you know, now I'm doing the other thing I shouldn't be doing. Now I'm repurposing an existing attribute for reasons that are unrelated to its purpose. Are, are you trying to project yourself into HTML right now, Matt? Do you, are you... Are you are you trying yeah. to make it happen? You're trying to make a mat element in HTML? I'm telling you now, it. this whole code pen has two paragraphs. <laughs> of course, I'm on paragraph one. I'm not on paragraph two. And I also am using some like content attribute stuff, which we'll touch on in a bit, to insert the word hello without case sensitive because my mat attribute is set to hello with a bunch of different cases. Uppercase, lowercase, upper, upper, and then lower. So... I yeah. I mean, we are HTML the thing, so it would make sense <laughs> for us to have a Matt and Mike attribute embedded into HTML elements that does something. We'll, we'll suggest it as the next spec. Yeah, <laughs> the next release <laughs> candidate is going to have some weird stuff in it. Trust me, guys and gals. <laughs> it, I mean, I'm down for it. Uh, I will gladly I'll gladly have the Matt. <laughs> um, although it better do something cool. It better not no, be no, like no, it's gonna the be Matt terrible. attribute marks marks. Uh, uh, elements that constantly cause problems or something. Like, <laughs> That's you know, like, exactly like, what it's going it's, it's the error box or it's the debug <laughs> box or something. Like this marks it as the debug box where we show all your errors and and your messages and stuff like that from WordPress or you know whatever else you're using. <laughs> it better be something cool like makes your text awesome or something. But <laughs> what a ridiculous like proposal. Yeah, can you like? Pull- I mean, I, I, I don't think they work like this, but it's like, can you pull request this? And it's just me writing in like Matt, the attribute into the base, like into the base platform. Be like, yeah, just just it'll make some awesome text for us. It, it is funny how many times I've gotten like a DM thinking that we work for HTML. <laughs> we that work we work for, for bu- HTML. That we work for HTML. Like I've gotten DMs asking me to like improve different aspects of HTML. And I'm like, guys, uh, we don't do that. Like. <laughs> We don't control HTML. We're not the people that you should be DMing on this. I don't know, think there is a person that you can DM for controlling what what is in HTML. Well, now you DM me. <laughs> that, that's a damn lie. That's a damn lie. Don't don't DM me about, about that unless you're someone from HTML <laughs> wanting to put that mad attribute in there. Uh, so I've talked about all like the, the frowned upon things. You know, you can you can make up your own attributes and it'll work, but 
Okay. So you do want to have your own attributes though, right? And you can do that. You can do that by prefixing them with data dash or data hyphen. And then right after that hyphen, you put your own name there. These are referred to often as data dash asterisk attributes. You'll see that written in blog posts and stuff that are talking about custom attributes. And one other little tidbit here is you can you can have multiple data dash uh, wildcard or dash asterisk um, attributes in one element. So you can have like data dash hello, data dash goodbye, all on one paragraph if you want. Now, don't place there is like a discouraged activity with these data attributes is that you, you shouldn't be placing content that is supposed to be seen within a data attribute instead you should be placing stuff that is content inside the html content there might be some exceptions in some crazy thing but this is like generally what you shouldn't be doing i have an exception i have an exception to that rule because i've seen it i've seen it done uh for stuff like crazy animations a lot of times people will put the exact same. So like they'll have the content in the regular HTML tags, right? And between the HTML tags, they'll have something like their name, Mike. And inside of a data value attribute, they'll put Mike as well because that's easily accessible and consistent inside of a JavaScript function or inside of like a, 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 a animation framework. And so when they need to do something with that element, sometimes they'll just use the value instead as well as the internal, what's internal. So sometimes if you want something different to happen, so you want like some sort of word to pop out on, on top of your word for whatever reason, you can use those data attributes to have that. And I've seen it done. Now, I don't know the best practices of that for accessibility because you're probably right. If it's not inside of the elements, it's, it's going to have some problems with accessibility. So don't use that, you know, to display like a tooltip. That would be a bad thing. But if it's just a aesthetic uh, animation, I don't see anything wrong with that, right? Well, there is something that's interesting here. So like I said, this is mostly from that CSS Tricks article, and they do mention that with CSS, and I do have it working here looking just for reference for myself on CodePen here, that you can actually pull a data attributes value and display it. So for example, I have uh, my attribute selector is just selecting the attribute mat, and then I'm using like colon colon before, and then inside, I'm using the content property. And in there, I'm doing attribute mat. So ATTR and then in brackets mat. And that is placing the value of my attribute, which is set to hello, right before the text of my paragraph. So you can take it out and you could place it on the screen. Again, there's so many use cases that I can't think of a useful reason that you would want to do this. And also for best practices, something like accessibility is something I definitely want to brush up on in 2023, because when you get into these sort of what I would call gray areas or advanced areas, you're sort of like, hey, this works for someone that isn't using a screen reader or for someone that isn't, you know, zooming in a certain amount or whatever. Maybe this isn't zooming properly. Maybe this isn't rendering properly. So what is the accessibility at this point? And I'm so used to with Webflow and with WordPress and stuff, having a program or a plugin tell me what's accessible and what the problems are that I just go down the checklist that I don't, I haven't gone through, I haven't like looked at the specific um, nuances or issues, or maybe, maybe this is great practice, you know, of any of these sort of gray areas. So it's something that I definitely want to improve on in 2023 is this type of stuff. Um, another thing that I want to mention here is that 
if you want, like let's say for example here, uh, I want to access my custom attribute and I want to check if the custom attribute has the word featured. That's a, that's a frequent, frequently used thing in, in front end. Does it have the word featured in it? Well, what if the person has wrote featured in all lowercase? What if they've wrote featured in all capitals? What if they've wrote featured with initial caps? So the word or the letter F is, is capitalized. You can actually make this not case sensitive by adding an I at the end of your attribute selector. So this is like a little bonus to just attribute selectors, not just custom attributes. You can literally just wrote your attribute selector. So I wrote the attribute selector, Matt. Again, not a real attribute, but Matt equals hello in quotes. It's all lowercase, space I, and then you close your squares, close your square brackets. That will select my first paragraph, but my first paragraph has the attribute Matt set to the value hello but I have a capital H, a lowercase e, two capital L's, and a lowercase o. But it still matches it. It still matches it. It still selects it. So that's something else to consider here. So when you're talking with these data attributes, you know, numbers, you can't really have cases. But with featured or maybe like a, a flag like close or open or whatever, you can use that I character to remove the nuance of, oh, great, you know, Bill <laughs> the, the one developer has capitalized all the O's and the word open and now half the stuff's opening and half the stuff isn't or half the stuff's not being selected properly. This removes that bit of annoyance, if you will, and if you need to. But I just I try to keep everything lowercase uh, with it with CSS for the majority of of uh, for the majority of what I write up. Now, data asterisk or data attributes, if you want to call them, are very handy when using uh, using them with attribute selectors in CSS for granular selecting and styling. So what does that mean? Well, let's take a look at a, help, a couple helpful use cases because we've talked about how they work. We've talked about maybe, you know, maybe a database ID or maybe this or maybe that. But you could maybe store how many columns you may want in a layout. That's a real world example where you could say instead of having class call four, call three, call two, call one, you could literally just have a data attribute say I want three columns and then initiate some sort of styling that is appropriate to that. And then someone isn't looking at something that is less readable. Like call one, call two, call three is, is pretty readable, but having something like data number of columns is even more readable. And you can just go and quickly change the number. And then you can also quickly change that in JavaScript as well. We'll talk a little bit about how data attributes can be accessed in JavaScript in a minute here. But another thing that's a helpful use case in the real world with custom attributes slash data attributes is flags. So is a menu opened or closed? Is the accordion, meaning the, uh, let's say you have, uh, the, the, you ask a question on Google and you have a list of six questions. You click on the top one, it opens up, the rest are still closed. You click on the second one, the rest close and the second one opens. For example, if that's the activity you want, an accordion is each, like which one's open, which one's closed. You can do this, of course, with JavaScript. You could, for example, off the top of my head, you could detect the height. You could detect the height of one of these of the divs or one of the paragraphs as, okay, that second one is taller than the rest. So that one is open. Maybe you could uh, apply a class that says opened or closed. You could also do that. Or you could just start using some custom slash data attributes to do this sort of thing. And I'm sure there's a hundred, hundred other use cases that you guys are probably thinking of. Um, some of them are, you know, more helpful in JavaScript, which I will touch on a couple of them here as well. But this is 
sort of getting just kind of getting your mind going on, okay, you know what, I could use these custom attributes, you're offloading a little bit of the programmatic stuff onto CSS, which is, in my experience, very performant. And so you're not like loading a script up and, it, you know, it's evaluating the script and then it's, you know, go blah, 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 doing the calculations, doing this, doing that. It's not doing that. So then I mentioned JavaScript because a bunch of you are probably going to be using this type of stuff with JavaScript. So what's the benefit of doing this? Well, you can get attributes, even the wrong ones, I'm pretty sure, with the sort of generic or the default way of getting things with the get attribute method in, in JavaScript. But data attributes actually have their own specific API. So you can actually go and quickly pull. So I'm just going to literally pull up this uh, this article because they have some great examples on here. Say, for example, you have a span that has a bunch of different data attributes. You have data info in this example, data index, data prefix, data emoji icon, and they're all equal to different values. Well, let's say you do have a reference to that element. You can set the attributes similar to, say, span.dataset. Here's your unique API stuff. Span.dataset.info span.dataset.index, and that will get you those values. You can also set, so you don't just, not just get, you can set as well. So span.dataset.prefix is equal to, and then type whatever you want in there. Span.dataset.emoji icon is equal to, and then type what you want in there. So it's a little bit cleaner, like it's it's comparable that, to get attribute, but we're being a little bit more expedient. We're kind of like shaving off some of the, some of the ac- excess. There's also something I want to point out here too, is that with the emoji icon thing in the example here, we have data. This is the name of the attribute. Data hyphen emoji hyphen icon. You actually have camel case in your JavaScript. So when you go span.dataset.emoji icon, you go, your emoji icon is lowercase e and then a capital I at the beginning of icon. So it automatically converts it to that sort of camel case kebab style, whatever you want to call it. That's what they do. Or I guess kebab style is the, sorry, the kebab the style dashing. I suppose is the dashing and then the, mm-hmm. I always bugger them up. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Same type of thing. But anyway, now this is, this is arguably, and this says this right in the article, it's arguably not quite as nice as class list because class list has add and remove and toggle. So you might be thinking, hey, I'm not going to use these custom data attributes. I'm going to use just the class list. And I'm going to add that closed, that opened class the whatever to track things. And that's totally like valid. I'm not saying those things are invalid, but they do have uh, some other stuff in here, such as you can have JSON data inside of a, of a data attribute. And then in JavaScript, you can pull that data and you can also parse it as needed. So you could have your, your data dash person, and then you could have their name and their job written <clears throat> in JSON. And then you could also, you know, like I said, you could parse, you can get that, you can do whatever, in in your in your js one big use case for using custom attributes data attributes like this is giving uh, a button an id so i'll actually just pull the exact example they've used in css tricks here they have a like button and there's an id literally an id number as data dash id and then it equals a number that will when clicked you want to add one to a number in a database somewhere that ID will indicate where you should go in the, in the database to update that. You know, hey, like this ID is from page one and page one is getting one more like. So in the table, page one's like like number will go up Y1. And yes, you know, you're using JavaScript, you're using Ajax there. But the point is, is this is one use case that using these data IDs 
that's very practical. These custom attributes are something that I just never really touched on. I knew that they were around, but I never really needed them. And if I, and, and to be honest, I have interacted with them before, but it's usually been for if someone has a column layout or if someone has something like that, where I'm going to go in and I'm going to be like, oh, I actually don't want this to be three. I want this to be two. And I just quickly go in and change the three to a two and that's it. But I've never really gone into it and thought of my thought of certainly not the JSON stuff. That's not something I thought of or I would even try. I wouldn't even know to Google that. It's just something that I would be like, oh, whatever. But going in and actually going through these different topics, as Mike and I have already discussed off air, though, like going in and like learning these topics for uh, these TikTok videos that we've been making has been a huge help in me finding these little nuanced things. Because there's something and Mike, I, I want your take on this, actually, is when you're looking up something. So, like, let's say you're looking up something the, for the first time in CSS or whatever. You you're brand new to it. And so you're probably typing in the wrong thing. You're probably typing in the wrong thing. You're typing in what are these square brackets? You don't know that that a square brackets an attribute selector. Or maybe you do, but you're asking a generic question or you're asking a very specific question. Generic or specific is generally. And so in forums like Stack Overflow and other places, they'll describe things generally, especially blog posts, because you're trying to hit as many, get as many clicks as you can from as many people. And so what happens is you get these general answers and you're in the middle of doing a project usually, or you're in the middle of doing some practice and you don't want to get bogged down on just custom attributes for half an hour. You want to do that in 10 minutes and you can move on. So you learn the basics you learn the basics of attribute selectors. You learn the basics of this. Oh, I'll use data. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't learn about the JSON. You don't learn about that stuff. And you move on. That's because you're getting either the very generic answer off of a Stack Overflow article or from a blog post or a very specific answer for your particular problem where someone's trying to solve your problem in your code the most expedient way. They're not going to be like, rip all that out and do it my way and like show you like another another whole way to do it. They're going to be like, oh, just change that to a dash. Like you forgot your you wrote like data. Hello, not data dash. Hello. You, you forgot to put that in there. So that's kind of what you get. You get generic or really specific. And the this nuance and these little things that you can miss, or at least that I miss, and I miss all the time, is in the gray area. It's in between where you're jumping in and being like, oh, like you can do this. Like, what do you think on that? Like, is that a agree, disagree? I, I think when you're going through and trying to solve a problem or you're trying to figure out something new, um, the first time you go through it, the first time you solve it is probably going to be inefficient, no matter how accurate you're finding your information, no matter how well you're typing your searches, because you don't know, like you said, you don't know what to search for. But the point is, you're going to probably get from point A to point B at some point, you're going to solve it. So if you're getting into the C this part of CSS, and you need to, you know, target something, and you find you don't find data attributes, like you don't find attribute selecting in CSS on the first run through. But you do find something like the, like get element by ID and you somehow repurpose that to work in the same way that this, the, these data attributes works because you can kind of jank it together, right? Like there's many ways you can skin this cat, really. Like, and I, I apologize for using that, but like it makes sense in this scenario. I've like, heard that many, in a damn decade, Mike. Yeah. There, <laughs> I haven't heard a, that in a damn decade. There's many ways you can get to the end result without having to use the most efficient way, right? But 
the only way to get to the most efficient way is to kind of go through the iterations of not doing it efficiently because you won't know, like you won't know why this way is better. Like data IDs are objectively better for a lot of different use cases than just using like a, a regular ID or just adding like a bunch of text into a class, like all like a class. So you could, you could name a yeah. class like your ID or your Absolutely. Or a, a reference of some sort. Correct. And it's doable and you can get something working, but as your project gets bigger, as your project gets used by more people, you'll notice that it starts to not be as maintainable in that way. Whereas a data attribute is very much direct and like, okay, this is what it's for, right? And these are what, this is why I'm using it. So you'll get to the end result if you need it. Like, so if you keep iterating on that problem, you'll eventually find it. That's why I don't, I never get caught up in like the, oh, I'm searching wrong or I'm getting the wrong answers and I, I don't want to implement it if it's wrong. I'll implement whatever solution works at the time. And if I come back to it again, I'll probably be able to Google it better and find a better solution. If I come back to it again, it's not, it's not even a guarantee that I'll ever need to use it because maybe I'm going to be working on a completely different project that doesn't need these data attributes. That's just an example, but it could apply to any, uh, any of the frameworks, any technologies, whatever you're learning. There's a chance that like you might do it wrong and then you might never come back to it to correct it. But that doesn't mean that you're not you know, you're not improving, you're probably improving in different areas that you actually need to improve in. You can never be perfect across the board. There is, there is, this reminds me, and, and maybe this will be like a closing note, but this reminds me of, of one of our teachers. And he, he mentioned to us in programming that once he learns something that he knows he doesn't need to learn again, he does not commit it to memory. He throws it away. And some people would be like, well, you know, what if you have to go back and you have to do this? He said, well, I figured it out the first time. I'm going to be able to figure it out the second time. And now I have my own notes. I wrote that little snippet. Now I'm going to know, oh, I did that on that project I did in March. Let's go back in my files, quickly check. Okay, well, this kind of doesn't make sense. Google it. Okay, you know, and then you can kind of like knock the rust off and remember it or just learn it again. that You learned it once before. Um, or just steal your own code, I guess, and sniff at that. Um, but it's, it, it is one of those things, like Mike's saying, where you might do something the inefficient way, but what if it's less than a millisecond of load time if you're exactly. shooting for page speed insights? Sure, a whole bunch of mistakes will add up, but then page speed insights, if that's what you're going for, is going to tell you, it's going to say, this is a big payload. You are not loading these fonts efficiently, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so then you might be like, oh, I need to do font display swap here. Oh, I should have these things be local. But you did have it working. You know, you did have it working. So it doesn't really matter. That's exactly it. I think I, I stole a lot of my kind of me mentality from him. He, he taught us how to approach a problem and take it apart and then be able to be okay with not perfection. I think that's something that I really kind of value in in his teachings because it's impossible. Like it literally is impossible to do something perfectly the first time. Even like if you build the same project over and over again, like 10, 20, 30 times, maybe by the 30th time, you'll have it down to efficiency. Like you'll have like, okay, I'm doing this part really efficiently, this part really efficiently, this part really efficiently. And then react updates. Possible. <laughs> and then react updates or, or you, you have to add another feature and then that feature is inefficient. But like, to strive for the best possible solution for every time you're solving a problem, you're never going to solve a problem. Like that's just a blatant, like straight statement. If you're going for perfection, it's not going to happen in, especially in web development, but probably in any other development, really. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's so many ways. Like I, like I even mentioned in my examples, like just constantly iterating, like you could do it this way, you could do it this way, you could do it this way. So, you know, pick, 
pick away, pick away, go with that, go with it that way. If it's a major mistake, hopefully you'll find it and then move on, you know, and if you're not sure, or if it's something that needs to be really secure and it's your first time through, ask someone who knows, <laughs> like, you know, laying out a title incorrectly is not the worst, but uh, doing something that's supposed to be secure insecurely is not good. Take that from a person that has published his API key, his full name and all his details on, on GitHub. <laughs> anyway, uh, with that. Uh, I do want to have uh, the end of the episode, but I do want to have a, a bit of an announcement. Mike and I have come up with uh, some new renovations for the show. I was going to mention it at the beginning, but I just wanted to get going. Uh, so uh, there we have some renovations for the show. We're going to be doing episodes like we try to always shoot for an hour. We're just going to shoot for content density. So we're going to shoot for content density, whether that's an hour, whether it's an hour 30, whether it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. We're also going to still do interviews. So and still on the same feed, all that. But we're gonna we're going to experiment, at least for the time being, with releasing them as a separate episode on a different day. So the Wednesdays uh, will be your regular episode, and then on some other day, you'll if we have an interview ready, we'll put that out with some exceptions. If we think that's a really good topic and we really should release it Wednesday, it will play it by our own sort of um, our own sort of opinions, and then we'll play it that way. But that's the way we're gonna go for the time uh, for the time being. And we also have a series coming out which is going to be a series of just posts that I post out. But then we're also going to have a separate little episode on this feed. And we're thinking of names. We don't have a, a name. I've pitched one called uh, Full Stack Struggles. And that is that, as you guys have known, if you listen to the show a lot, that I have been in the small to medium business world for a long time making websites. Uh, I have done a little bit of server admin, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But it is a little bit of stuff. And I am completely out of date when it comes to modern custom development. I'm in my Webflow. I'm in my WordPress. I'm in my custom, uh, like completely custom vanilla, as we've had some that work on uh, some sites that work on, uh, what do you call it? Uh, dial up. Couldn't even remember the name. Dial up and stuff like that. And so I want to make an app. So we're going to be making an app. And this is not like a SaaS or anything serious, but we're going to try to touch all the areas. So we're going to make an app that tracks passive income. Uh, again, this is just purely for the challenge of it. And Mike and I are going to go through what, what's happening. So as I go, I'm going to be posting on Twitter, posting on TikTok, whatever, as appropriate. And I'm going to be uh, making my own path. At the same time, Mike, who is versed in this stuff, is going to make his own path of which he probably already knows where to go. And we're going to do a compare, contrast, frustrations, no frustrations, inefficiencies, not efficiencies in different areas. These areas include authentication, pulling from an API, and then an interactive uh, interface using something like a Svelte or a React or a View. I'm probably going to go to Svelte because this is so simple. I'm probably going to go to Svelte because I've tried that. And what this is basically going to do, brief outline is it's going to, this app is going to pull dividends from a company's ticker symbol. So we're going to have a search and we're going to be like, hey, I want to know what Apple pays in a dividend. It's going to tell us how much dividend, <clears throat> excuse me, from that API. It's going to tell us how much dividend they pay per month or per year. And then from that, the user is going to be able to add how many stocks they've purchased. And it's going to tell you a breakdown. It's just very basic. It's going to tell you, uh, you know, this is this is how much you're making per day. This is how much you're making per year, per six months, whatever we decide. We'll break that up. Very simple calculation. So we're going to have an interactive user interface that way. And the big one for me is authentication. I have no idea. Like I, I don't touch this stuff. Like I said, I use WordPress. I use Couch CMS, or I used to, and 
Like all this stuff has always been done for me. So I'm going to go in and like, I don't know, PHP. I don't know. So I'm going to go in and I'm going to do this and I'm going to not film my struggles, although maybe partially, and I'm going to try to do this. So we're going to try to have the project done by end of February, but we're going to play it by ear. So if I'm getting a whole bunch of great content and I'm learning a whole bunch, I'm not going to rush through the content and rush through things to hit this deadline. This is a rough deadline just to get the ball rolling. And I'm going to try to get this done up, but I am for sure going to do this. I'm committing to this now, not by a particular deadline, but I am going to commit to this now. Uh, so we're going to release little episodes of our struggles where I'm going to be like, Mike, I am stuck as hell on authentication. I've tried these six things. I don't know what's going on. And I'm allowed to ask Mike for help as somebody would. But the whole point of this is supposed to be that you see someone transition from, say, vanilla from code builders and from website builders like Word, like Webflow and or and WordPress as well, because that's more involved because I self-host those. And see if I can make this very simple app. API, interactive, UI, and authentication. Let's see what happens. Yep. And at the end of it, I will tear it apart. Good. Full disclosure. Yeah, I will. I will tear. I will tear it apart, and we'll go through like where, where, like I, I was like, okay, this is perfect, and where I think like, okay, this is this might be an issue down the line. So that's going to be an interesting thing. Whether we do that on the show or maybe a live stream or something like that, we'll see. We'll figure that out as we go. And there'll but, probably be blog posts about this too, where yes. I, I, I like find something stupid. Like one of the biggest things I hate, and I told Mike about this, is someone will be like, "Here's the script for like, I don't know, checking a username, something." And they don't tell you where to put it. And I'm sitting there being like, well, good. This framework has 1400 files. I guess I'll just put it in each one and see which one, like, where do I put this thing? And I go nuts trying to figure that out. So I'm going to be talking about my struggles and stuff like that. Uh, Michael obviously be doing the, the Twitter still, but I'll be doing this on the TikTok and on uh, Instagram. And then any blog posts might come out as well. And uh, the mini episodes, which will be clearly labeled. If you don't care about this and you've already left, or you're going to leave, you're like, this is stupid, then don't worry about it. They're going to be clearly labeled, so you don't have to listen to them. That's it. Unless you have anything else to add, Mike, I think it's time to run the old conclusion there. Runner up. Alrighty, well, we are on Patreon if you want to support episodes like this, projects like this, and epi- and, and podcast renovations like this. Actually, we're doing a little bit of a <laughs> reno here in 2023. You can go check us out on that Patreon if you want to support that type of stuff. That's patreon.com slash HTML. All the things and many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital, blueblackdigital.com. Tim from the Web Hacker on the webhacker.com. Bib Hashdash from 9BlockMedia, 9BlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. And Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform you're listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.